Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad. And I'm John Mark Osborne. And welcome to Fireside Farmmaker. Today we're going to talk about a subject close to my heart, and I think close to John's too. We're going to talk about interface design. But before we get into the conversation, I want to define the interface so that you know what exactly what we're talking about. The interface is what the user sees. It's what they react and interact with. But the interface is also very similar to the tip of an iceberg. It is the one third of the program that is above the surface where it is seen. The rest of the stuff that makes up the interface is hidden. And only the developer really ever sees that so the user is completely unaware of it. What do you think, John? I, I absolutely love that analogy. I mean, it makes so much sense. So I, Good. I I don't know if I can say anything better than that. So I'll just I'll just say, hey, that was awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, good, <laughs> thank you. So, ever since I started developing FileMaker solutions, I've always had a focus on the interface. It's been the primary driving force for me. And when I wrote my first book on FileMaker in 2011, I think it was 2011, long time ago, it was about interface design. And it was about my journey to develop really beautiful interfaces. And I've learned by looking at some of the work of our colleagues, John Sindelar at Seed Code, Chris Manton, who sadly passed away, but was one of the most brilliant interface designers I've ever seen. And basically just giving, creating a wow factor for the user. Because if you, if the user goes, wow, I want to use this, then you're going to eliminate a lot of the resistance that people have when they're forced to change. Yes. And I would add to that, that yes, you want to draw somebody and they want beauty. They want to love it. They want to, you know, I think Steve Jobs says, I want you to want to lick those buttons. You know, they look that good. They look like candy. But it's also beyond that. Once it looks good, it has to be very easy to use also. That's a very core component to interface design, I think. It absolutely is. And it's it's an essential part of it. Now, my approach has been and continues to be that function follows form. In other words, the interface for me has always been the starting point. And I used to design every solution just basically to do with the the company or the project I was developing on. So I would spend enormous amounts of time designing an interface. And only when I got it right in my mind would I start building the functionality. Now, this is a strange approach, but it's one I've taken and has been very successful for me. Yeah, I would have to say my approach is very different. What I do or what I have done is I have a standard interface. I like to call it FLF or find list form. It's changed a little bit with the the new features in FileMaker 18, uh, 17 and 18. But the idea here is that I design one interface that's really good. The buttons are always right. You know, there's always a header and then there's navigation in the upper right-hand corner. The title's up in the upper left-hand corner, then a button bar for functionality below that. 
my menus are always, I always navigate to different tables with custom menus. There's always a list view. You know, you always go, it's the Google mentality. You're going to go and go into find mode. It's going to produce you a list of hits in list view. And then you're going to go to form view to check out those items, kind of like what you do on Google. And that's my idea is I don't try to design a, a unique interface for every single There'll be unique pieces, don't get me wrong, but I fit them into this concept, this template, because then I don't have to charge people a ton of money, and I know this interface is going to work and be easy to use. Right. Well, I've done the same thing now with the Nautilus FM framework, where it is a single 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 interface design for every project I develop. The only difference is that the color palette that's being used will vary according to the palette fits the customer's needs, i.e. it matches their logo or their website. But other than that, it's a completely standard interface that I can use effortlessly on a thousand solutions. And they'll all look different, but they'll all look the same. Yep. And that translates into saving money for the client, which I think is something that a lot of developers don't think about. It's it's not about making the solution with the most bells and whistles and the most unique interface is about giving something that works for the client at a, at a reasonable price. And sometimes it's a little bit boring, but that's what you really need to do. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't have excitement in every aspect of your life. You know, you've got to have something that fits all and does one size fit all. Yeah, it never used to, but I think it does now. But there are certain things that you will use that I won't. Uh, I won't use anchored objects. I just hate them. And the reason I dislike them so much is that I just don't see any point in being able to anchor all the objects and make the screen bigger, but still see exactly the same objects. The only difference might be that you would see a few extra portal rows. But for the amount of work that's involved in doing that, I'd rather just start with a screen that uses up the maximum amount of screen space and I can display everything on that one screen without it being cluttered or confusing. Yeah, and, and I can agree with you to a certain degree, but what I don't want people to do is to increase the size of their window and just get a bunch of blank space on the right. Well, I agree with, the part I agree with you is that so the portal got a few more rows or the notes field got a little bit bigger. You're right. It's not a tremendous difference, but I prefer that over giving them an interface that, that can't resize. It looks more professional. And what it comes down to in the end is that you're going to get this solution that you design for the minimum screen size. Cause I usually go in and I talk to my clients and say, okay, give me all your screen resolutions for all your computers. And then we'll go over and we'll look and see what the lowest common denominator is. And I'll say, is this an old computer or are we going to get rid of this soon? And we'll try to come up with something, a screen size that meets their needs. Some people have larger screens with higher resolutions and some will have you know smaller screens with lower. But we try to get something for the minimum size of the screen. And then, of course, for the people who have bigger screens, they'll want to open it up a little bit. And I just don't want to have that blank area on the right and the bottom. Right. Well, I'm using a, a standard screen size of 1890 wide by 990 deep, and that will fit almost on every single monitor you can find, whether it's a desktop or a laptop. 
you don't have to scroll you don't have to go left or right it'll just fit and i've found that out by a lot of experimentation so i'm using the full screen as much of it as i can safely without having to worry about it part of it running off the edge of the screen yeah i tend to prefer to not take up the whole screen because i want people to be able to have filemaker solution on there as well as other apps and that's the way my screen looks at, at my company when i'm working on i have you know my my email in the upper left hand corner i have my hard drive down the lower left hand corner and most other things show up on the right side so i don't want to make my solution too big so it takes up too much space i i often talk to my clients a lot and say what what do you want to take up the whole size what what if we do take up the whole window size what that was that going to mean for you and and so i try to design something specifically for them and i think that the the anchors definitely help out with that but i can i can definitely see your point as well i think i would be i'm less worried about it now than i would have been two or three years ago because almost everybody now has larger monitors and they're working on two monitors sometimes three it's very common you rarely see anybody working on a single monitor now. And, you know, even if they're using a laptop, they're plugging that into a, a monitor. And so they've got the laptop screen and the and the external monitor. So I think the screen size issue has become less of an issue than it was a few years ago. I, I would completely agree with that. It's much easier than it was before. And you also have to understand there's a difference in how you decide on your screen size, whether you're designing, or at least for me, in your case, it wouldn't be, but there's a, there's public or vertical solutions, which you don't know who's going to be using it. So you have to absolutely do what you're doing, which is design for a certain screen size. But for me, when I design for a known audience, a client who's going to put it out in their company, I'm going to know who those people are and I can design specifically to that screen size. True. But you've also got to go ahead and do the due diligence and find out what they're using. And that's another thing that takes time to do. And with what I'm doing, like we talked about the other day, because I only bill by the hour, I don't have to do or make do that extra work like producing a retirement document or an ERD because I'm working by the hour. And it's the same thing with the interface. The interface is ready to go. I just have to bolt the stuff in, plug in what I need, and just work from that standard size. So just that functionality alone is saving the client several hours of time if I did it, was doing it the other way. So I think we both agree that it's about efficiency and about designing a good interface, but about efficiency in designing that interface. And some people are going to find something, some things are completely necessary while other things are unnecessary. But it, you know, it's about trying to make this process as efficient as possible with giving your clients what they want. And so that's what we're both trying to do here, I think, when we get down to the core of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're on the same page in this. It's just, again, it's a slightly different approach. And, you know, we're all, as I've used this word many times, idiosyncratic in the way we develop. We develop according to the way our brain works and the way we think. And that's true of every program, every developer in the world. As long as the interface does its job, it's not garish. And you and I have seen interfaces where people have used every color in the, in the, in the book. And they just look absolutely disgusting. And nobody can work on them because 
it's just too hard on the eyes. It's like looking at a spreadsheet for eight hours a day. Colors are just as bad as a spreadsheet. Yeah, I like to call those rainbow unicorn interfaces. Uh, I like to call them the dog just throw up. Yeah, right? It's same the idea. Mine's just a little more palatable. But <laughs> I remember probably 20 years ago, a guy had made a list view. And he had totally abused list view because list view is for choosing what records you want to see in form view. That's the design behind it. It's not to put every field conceivable on there. But this guy had put every field conceivable on there. It must have been 25 or 30 right in a row. And he knew it was hard to read, so he decided to put a different color on every column. You can imagine the rainbow you got there, and the colors meant nothing for somebody who saw it. He said, oh, it's really easy for me to, to read. I'm like, well, yeah, but you've been staring at it and developing it for for months or whatever it's been. When you throw that out into somebody, you know, they, their brain can only handle a handful of colors. And once you put more than, let's say, half a dozen colors on there, and you probably should stick to two or three, then the brain gets confused and it can't understand what's going on and it can't adopt what it, and the color means nothing. The color is supposed to attract you to a button or to an area or whatever it's supposed to do. And so the more colors you get is not the better. It's not more attraction. It's less attraction. Right. Well, your comment to the guy would have, the one you made, mine would have been very different. I would have said, oh, you're completely colorblind, are you? Right. <laughs> Because a lot of people are. And, you know, this is something that we actually have to take into account when we're developing. We have to ask that question. Because if you're using a fairly neutral palette, you can still use colors for emphasis, as, as you're talking about. And even though somebody might be completely colorblind, it will still stand out because it's a different shade or a different pattern of whatever they're seeing but they will still see it. But we do have to take into account that some people are colorblind and they may not even be aware of it. So here are tips for people who are colorblind. Don't use colors. Use things like bold. Use italics, underlines, things like that. Colons at the end of things to represent titles and stuff like that. All these things can help attract attention when you have something unique on there. So not everything on your layout should be in bold text, but if you want a, a heading for a section over there to stand out, do it bold on one of the lines. Or if you have a an active versus an inactive contact in your contact manager, you know, there's a little checkbox that says this guy's active or inactive because you shouldn't delete records, right? Absolutely. You go ahead and make it bold when they're active and dim it to gray with conditional formatting when they're inactive so you can tell a difference. It's not just about color. It's about offering something that makes something look unique. Right. Talking about deleting records, one of the things that I've done for several years is any key pieces of information, any tables that have information that's relatively important, I only allow an administrator to delete those records. I allow a user to press a button that says delete, which will mark that record as inactive, record who tried to delete it, and just keep it there so that if it was deleted inadvertently or deliberately, the administrator can go back in and restore it. And then the administrator can make a decision whether they need to, they can delete stuff that's been around for a year and nobody's ever gone back to it. Yeah, what I'd like to, to add to what you just said is a big giant exclamation point because that's so important. People don't understand. They want to delete. But when you delete things, 
become unreadable. So in other words, let's say you had an invoicing solution. You delete the customer, the old invoices with a customer on there say, you know, don't have that customer defined anymore. You can't see who it was. You shouldn't delete, you should in inactivate them. And there's lots of ways to do it. Like you said, you can, you know, make it so it doesn't show up in fines and things because you've, you know, set it for deletion and in a year later when it, when you know that nobody's wanted to look at it again, delete it then. But you can also do things like keep track of the history. You can take and put that record into an archive if you want. And there's many plugins out there. You could script it, all kinds of things to get rid of that record, but to keep it. Right. Well, uh, this is, again, a, just a, a way I handle it with regard to something like customers or products. If that customer has never been used, has no records associated with it, yeah, you can delete it because it might not be important. I mean, it's just there. But if that customer has got quotes or invoices, the delete button simply isn't there because it's in, it's an active customer and you don't want to orphan those records. Yep. So you can put some logic behind your coding to make sure people don't do the wrong thing, which is delete somebody who's connected to an invoice. Exactly. And a lot of what we do is make it very difficult for the user to make mistakes. And we spend an enormous amount of time thinking about all the things that the user might do and figuring out how to not let them do it if it's going to be detrimental to the program. I mean, users are constantly coming up with, I would never have thought you would have done that in a million years. What <laughs> possessed you? Right. I know what you're talking about. And yeah it's it's hysterical i once had a situation years back with the isp billing program and i had one of the customers call me up and said i've lost all my invoices and i went what do you mean you've lost all your invoices they're all gone and i said well how did they go well i, I deleted them so wait a minute you actually decided to delete all your invoices and then you said yes i'm sure i want to delete all these invoices three separate times before they were deleted. Um, well, uh, yes. You know, <laughs> what can you do? You can't prevent complete idiocy as much as we try to. Well, security helps, right? <laughs> yeah, security does help. But while you're doing this idiot proofing, as, as the, generally the term for this, you know, making sure people don't make mistakes because it's a big job of the interface to do that. You have to make sure that people can use it and not get themselves in trouble. What you've got to watch out for is all these tricks that you can employ in FileMaker. Like, I want to hide that button if this situation occurs. Now, that's great for one or two or however many buttons it ends up being or whatever things you want to do on there. You can hide objects to your heart's delight. But you need to make sure you don't do too much. Because I had a client, and I think I've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning this story again. He called me up and said, hey, this layout's really, or this, when we change records, it's really slow. And I looked at it, and he had used conditional formatting and hide objects and all these unstored calculations to make things appear the way he wanted to, to do just that, to make sure the client, his, his employees, you know, had a good user experience. He wanted to give them that cool, you know, turning off and turning on and available and unavailable, but he'd gone too far. He had based it off of related fields. 
and done the same thing to four or five buttons and, and then over here, another four or five buttons and some fields and this and that. And he'd done so much that each time you went to a record, it had to recalculate all this stuff, not just locally, but all through these relationships. And so you've got to be careful with the tools. FileMaker gives you, a, it's really easy to hang yourself if you go too crazy with all these cool tools. So use those interface tricks when it's really important and has meaning and don't go overboard with it. Right. And this is We've just circled back to the podcast that we're going to release with the one we released before this one, which is KISS. So when you're developing, it's KISS. It's keep it simple, stupid. And that means everything that you do. And you don't want a complicated calculation under the hide object when because FileMaker has got to resolve that. So is it a good time to talk about the grid? Because I know that we talked about this before, and you use it to some degree. I use it exclusively. Yeah. How do you use it, John? Well, I mean, I think where we have to first start with is a definition of the grid. And I first learned about it from Heather Winkle, who's the former product manager of user experience at FileMaker Incorporated. She gave a really great uh, webinar on interface design, and she started off with the grid, which... It's called the grid because you should design things according to grids. There should be distinct sections. I almost think of my first thought of describing this so you can visualize this because I can't show you a picture on a podcast is visualize those kind of walls of pictures where people put, you know, like you're walking up the stairs or something and there's a bunch of pictures and people have nicely laid out the pictures and, and, and they're not always just right in a line. They're sometimes in a bunch. And that reminds me of the grid right there where you have distinct sections with white space between them that define a section. They're all lined up and perfect and look nice. And this gives your eye something to attract to. It's almost like the colors and the bolding and italics I talked about before. If you do things on a grid, line them up and say, this is one section, this is one section, this is another section, then the eye has and the brain has an easy time of identifying based on the grid system and makes a really good, easy to understand interface. No, absolutely. And I use the grid all the time. The ability to just look at that screen and not have grid lines or delineations that I'm working within, even though it's only during the design layer. It's just done by eye for me. So, but I'm definitely using a grid. I'm definitely balancing all the different objects. And, you know, the golden rule, um, which is a famous design code. Are you familiar with the golden rule, John? No, I'd, I'd like to hear about it. I might, might be, but I'm not sure I know the name. Well, if you look at a Nautilus shell, which is my logo, the Nautilus shell is the most perfect example of the golden rule there is. And every single segment is 1.61 times bigger than the previous segment. And that's the golden rule. That's the spacing and the percentage and the way that it's developed. And it's a very useful tool to bear in the back of your mind if you want absolute harmony in design. And a lot of uh, packaging, product packaging, is designed based on the golden rule. 
So good. I have some homework to look up uh, about the golden rule to enhance my user interface designs. Um, but going back, I, there's some great videos on YouTube, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, oh no, not at all. Um, we're all, all gentlemen here, right? Well, you speak for yourself. <laughs> what One of the things that came up in my mind when you were talking about the grid and, and, and doing it all by eye, I'm a big fan of, of the dynamic guides. I, I know they have some shortcomings com on complex layouts, but that's how I line everything up and make my grids. I group objects together and line them up that way and, and move them around and wait for that little blue line to show up. Yeah, I typically use the, the grid lines when I want to size an object and make sure that it's staying within the parameters of the grid lines I've just put on, like a sliding panel and stuff like that. But I don't use them very often. It's very sparingly. It's about the same amount of use as I use colors on the interface, other than just corporate color and emphasis and emphasis color, which is often the same as that. So you don't use dynamic guides hardly at all then? No. Okay, interesting. Because I mean, every there's different ways to line things up. I mean, you can use alignment tools. You can use dynamic guides. You can use the grid. You can use those little things. I forget what they call. You pull them down off the rulers, and they put a line there, and you can line things up with them. Yeah, I use those. Those I do use, but very occasionally. And it's really when I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not overlapping one panel with content on one panel with content on another. And I think what it comes down to is there's a lot of tools for lining things up, but we both agree, whatever tool you use, just make sure you line things up. If things are even off by a pixel, that makes the brain go crazy. Yep. There's a very interesting story. Are you familiar with the artwork of Jean Miro, the Spanish artist? Not at all. Well, he's the guy that you will look at his picture and you'll go, a four-year-old could do this. And it's very childish, very abstract, just colors and shapes. And what's really interesting about Miro's work is that it looks at first glance as if a child drew it. But if you go in and analyze it and you were to take an image and break every single, every single part of the image down into a different layer, when you look at the whole thing as it is, it's perfectly harmonized with your eye. But if you move, move one of those layers, even as little as one pixel, the whole thing is out of balance and it's extraordinary. And so, but we are able to, most of us, I think, have that ability to look at something and go, yeah, that isn't quite right. And I look at a, the screen and go, yeah, I need to move that object two pixels to the left. You just know that it needs to be moved. And the moment it's moved, it's, oh yeah, perfect. Right. Symmetry, right? Symmetry. Yeah. Symmetry. Negative, positive and negative space, white space, dark space. It's all symmetry. Symmetry, alignment. And we live in a symmetrical world. If you look at nature, nature is full of the most amazing symmetries. It just has to be balanced. It's balanced. And symmetry doesn't always have to be perfect. It just has to be symmetrical in a natural way, if that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so I'm hoping we can move on to themes because... I want to talk about where modern things came from and basically came from Heather Winkle. And I have a lot of respect for, and I wish she was still at, you know, at Claris International. Sorry. <laughs> I'll make that mistake many times again. And, and she designed all those themes that went in there based on the grid and her just general knowledge of how to design interfaces. She's fantastic. And 
I think it's important that, and I know we differ in this, that you like to design your own themes. And I'll give you a second to talk about that. Uh, you know, that, that's, that kind of brands your, your company and your look and feel. I personally don't want to spend a lot of time on interface. I'm not an interface designer. What I can do is I can line things up, but I don't know how to match colors up. And I don't have that. I, I let people, my clients choose from the existing themes. But I think it's important to us to notice that how important themes are, no matter how you use them. Well, uh, no, I agree in theory. I just don't like any of the themes that um, that Farmaker comes up with. And one of the reasons for that is, as we've discussed this before, I want my solutions to be to look unique to me. I don't want them to look like everybody else's. I don't want a client to go, oh, I saw, oh, it looks like it's like every other farmmaker solution out there. I want mine to be unique. I don't want to be using a standard theme. And I've used a standard theme to create a very custom theme that I use on every single one of my solutions. And I can make a copy of that. I can change it. I can reskin it by changing a couple of elements and make a global change. So I'm all in favor of using a theme but I'm using a custom theme that I've created and designed and spent countless hours building. Right. And that's my point against it. I don't want to spend countless hours on it. I want to have a theme that a, somebody with way more experience than me has designed so that I know what I'm using. The theme as it was built into FileMaker, I can use this theme without any question that it looks good. And all I'm asking from FileMaker is that they have more themes. They should include more examples so we can all look more professional. Because the, the, the third-party development, there's hardly any themes out there. It, it really hasn't gone like they thought, and they need to fill in that, that, you know, that gap and make their own themes, just like they need more buttons for the you know, button icons for the buttons and things like that. But that's my viewpoint is that, that I'm not an uh, interface designer. You are more of an interface, interface designer. I mean, Michael is the one who designed the logo for this Fireside FileMaker and things like that. So he's taking his strengths and using them to design his own theme. If you don't have a strength there, you should go ahead and possibly consider using one of the built-in themes because it'll make you look yeah, good. Absolutely. I think we can both, both agree that no matter what, you should be using a theme because it's going to make things easier don't try to design the way we did in the old days with using graphics and things like that. No, I mean, the themes are designed, uh, in my opinion, they were designed so that somebody with zero graphic design ability can build a solution that looks reasonably decent. And I think that's fantastic. And if you don't have an eye for design or a, even, you, you know, I, I think I have an eye for design, but I, what's more important is I've got a passion for it. So I'm willing to spend enormous amounts of time refining and defining and just noodling. And even though the custom theme that I've designed took a lot of work, once it's done, I can use it 100,000 times and I don't have to do anything. I just apply that theme. And the ability to take that theme and, you know, create a different version with a different color palette almost instantaneously is amazing. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And maybe it's time to move on to something else 
that's very important for me, which is layout consistency. What really bothers me is when you move from form to list or from a form view on a one table to a form view on another table and things move around. It's a very common amateur maneuver where they have the buttons in approximately the same place or even sometimes completely on the other side of the screen, but sometimes not quite in the same. So you get this video game effect where they're moving from it. And you never see that in a professional application like Microsoft Word or FileMaker's interface, you know, the dialogues. Everything's perfectly placed. So when you're going and creating your layouts, because you're more like you're likely to have, you know, multiple tables, multiple form views, multiple list views, duplicate them and change them where necessary until FileMaker brings out or Claris International brings out a master layout feature where you can set up all the things that are consistent between layouts and then you can apply it and change them in one place. Until you can centralize that layout design, you have to be careful when you're doing this. And the way to do it is to get your first layout perfect and then duplicate all layouts based on that afterwards. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic advice. And it's something that I have done for years. And it's definitely makes a huge difference. You don't want to see the screen jump when you click a button. You want it to be a seamless, effortless transition. And when you click that button, if all the objects are in the same alignment, you won't see any jump. You just are there. But the jump jumps out at you. The only thing you'll see change is what's different about that particular layout. Now, you use Nautilus, though, which is a little bit different. You don't have to worry so much about that, right? No, Nautilus is a, is a single screen solution that I've spent a, over a year developing. And it's everything happens on one screen so that the user is always in the same place. They're always in context. We're using the maximum amount of real estate. The layouts are designed to be really easy to follow. And if you need to navigate to a different module, you either click on the a field within the module you're currently in to go to another one, or you click on a, a button at the top of the screen, which just switches to a different panel, which is where that module is residing. So I'm creating for Nautilus, I've created three views. I've created a card window view, which is full size screen. I've created a narrow one, which fits either on the far left or on the far right of the screen, a list view and a form view. And that's it. That's it. And everything after that is just duplicate the layout, change the context, add different fields. But the majority of the elements are all the same. So that's a different way to, per, uh, to go about designing a, a, in a perfectly valid way versus the way that I'd normally do things, which is a whole bunch of layouts, just precisely designed the original and then changed as I go through them. It's, it, it all depends on how you like to work. Either way is totally valid. The more traditional way is, of course, with lots of layouts, but there are certain advantages to having a single layout. Well, I'll tell you what the big advantage is, John, and this is the reason that I started and started the idea of developing it. It's a simple principle. If you never leave home, you can't ever get lost. And that's the whole principle of Nautilus FM. You're on that one home screen and you can do everything you want from that screen and never leave it. So let's talk about platforms. The way I see it, we have desktop, which is Macintosh and Windows. We have iOS, which is iPhone and iPad and 
an iPod if they still have it. I don't even know if they have it anymore, but it's basically an iPhone. And then we have web, which is web direct and custom web publishing. And there's certain things you need to know interface wise for each one of these platforms. So for instance, when you're designing for Macintosh and Windows, you usually use a layout that suits that, you know, that's going to be cross-platform for Macintosh and Windows. But you have to worry a little bit about the fonts because they're a little bit different. The fonts will generally be a little bit bigger. Even if it's exactly the same font, it will be a little bit bigger on Windows or a little bit smaller on Macintosh, whichever way you want to look at it. And then the colors sometimes can be a little bit different, sometimes a little bit darker on Windows and sometimes a little bit lighter on, on Macintosh, depending on what your perspective is. So it's a good idea to design your layouts, your interface, and test it out real quickly to make sure, because a lot of times people ask for specific fonts, you need to make sure that you don't need to make your fields bigger, your one, one line fields bigger, because the font gets so much bigger and the descenders get cut off. You don't want that kind of stuff to happen. You don't want to have to go back to a whole bunch of layouts and make the changes. And same with the colors. But if you stick with themes, straight up themes, they've already tested all this stuff and you can be pretty safe. Yeah, that's true. But what one of the things that I think is remarkable about what Claris has done is make two different programs because they are different programs. I mean, they must be developed completely, you know, separately. But they're as close to identical as you can possibly get. And to be able to switch from Windows to Mac without any loss of anything is just an incredible achievement. And hats off to them for doing that. And no conversion, right? Yeah, no conversion. It just opens and it works seamlessly. And if you took a screenshot of an interface that you design in Windows and, or design on the Mac and then you open it on a Windows machine and took a screenshot of it, it's going to look so close as makes no difference. You won't realize initially that there is a difference. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think they call it binary cross-platform compatible. That's what they, how they describe the files that are created. Maybe a different program. What's that? There's no need to be vulgar. Yeah. <laughs> so the other platforms are going to be, again, iOS. And you need to make sure, and not a lot of people know this, because I, I talk to clients all the time, and they're all like, you have to make a different layout for an iPhone and an iPad versus the Mac. I've had clients who literally open up their desktop designed layout on an iPhone and zoom in and out and stuff like that. It's interesting to note that if you submit a product over to the filemaker.com website to be listed there, they don't want you to be able to zoom an iOS solution. It should fit right on the screen. The only thing you should be doing is scrolling up and down if it's a list view. Otherwise, you shouldn't have any ability to double tap and zoom in. Therefore, and based on the fact that iOS has a different screen size and you're using your finger to control it, you have a different interface design. And people need to realize that, that on open, if you see that it's a Macintosh or Windows, you go to this set of layouts. And if you're on an iPhone, you go to this set of layouts because iPad, in my opinion, is different than an iPhone. So if you're on an iPad, you go to this set of layouts. And so you're designing lots of layouts for these different types of platforms. Now, that actually brings up a, a question that I've not been able to get an answer to, and maybe you know the answer to this. On the layout, you have the ability to select different screen sizes and have 
guidelines appear on the screen to show you where the boundaries of that screen size are. And it's very useful. But with the iPad, that was based on the iPad Air, the standard size, which is nine or nine and a half inches. But now with the iPad Pro at 10 and a half inches and 12.3 inches, are those screen dimensions still correct? Do they scale up automatically or do they need to add new screen sizes? I believe they had to add new ones. The iPad Pro would be silly if it was just a, a blown up version of the, the regular iPad. It's got a significantly larger screen, so it has a higher resolution. Therefore, it needs more choices. I would have thought that. I'm just surprised that they haven't, since that is the case, they haven't taken that into account in the latest generation of FileMaker. Yeah, because the iPad Pro has been out for a while now. Correct. Yeah. And in fact, I've been thinking about buying one, but it's a lot of money to spend just to experiment. Well, and they're incredibly light, believe it or not. So impressive little piece of uh, technology. Now, the, the third platform is web. Now, you don't really need any interface design for custom web publishing. You just need layouts for it to reference and put the fields on there and the related fields you need to access and things like that. So really, there's nothing to talk about there. There's nothing you have to do with it except make that layout. It can, it can be the most plain layout ever because nobody's ever going to see it. But WebDirect's a whole different story. You have to have something designed for showing on a web browser. You need to test it separately from the desktop and from the iOS because there's differences in the way things appear on a web browser. There's differences in how the scripts works and the features work. And so there's a lot of reasons why you need all these separate layouts for all these different platforms. It sounds like a pain, but there are different platforms for a reason. They have different screen sizes, different features, and different abilities that you have to take into account. And the best way to differentiate those is to have separate layouts. Yeah, absolutely. And if you didn't know this, those of you who are listening, when you're in the script workspace, you can actually um, toggle it so that you can see commands that are not available on the web. And that's very useful if you're building scripts to make sure that this is a web layout and these script steps will not work on it. Yeah, an awesome tip. And you also have to realize that some script steps are partially compatible with a platform. So unless you select an option that it doesn't like, it may not dim it out. So watch out. Yes, that's very true also. So I've got a question for you about starting a solution. How do you start a solution? What's your normal way? Of, I mean, I'm, I think you're, we're gonna, you're going to say Nautilus, but I, I don't know what you're going to say. So I'm just asking you, Oh, I'm definitely going to say Nautilus because I've already developed a core framework that has got the designs done and key modules already built that are universal. Every program you can think of has got a companies table and it's got a contacts table. And for those of you who think that companies and contacts should be in the same table, you are wrong. They should be completely separate. So I've got companies and products, uh, companies and contacts. Every business has products or services. So you have a products table. Every business has quotes or invoices. You have one of those or both of those. So I'm starting with a, my framework and then I'm going in and adding everything I need to for that particular project. But I'm starting with Nautilus FM every single time. And I think everybody should start with some type of template. I take a different approach than you. I don't like to have a bunch of stuff in there that I don't need for a particular project. So what I'll often do is start with a solution 
that I already have, like I sell a contact manager and invoicing solution and quite a few other ones. I'll figure out which one handles that client's project the best. And occasionally I'll start from scratch, but you don't necessarily have to have a template. You can do a lot of copying and pasting as long as you understand how you can copy and paste. If you're going to copy a script, you might, you need to have that table with the same names and the same fields for it to copy correctly if you're referencing them in your script. So I think both of us will agree, even though we have different ways of approaching it, slightly different ways, starting with something, a template, or at least borrowing from other solutions is the only way to get your solution built efficiently and accurately and with a good interface. And you make a good point about there may sometimes in when I'm doing a solution, there may be a a table or two that I've already got in my development framework that I actually don't need. Well, the way that Nautilus is designed, I can delete those in a heartbeat. And so I just, rather than build everything, I use what I think is going to be the core requirements and then I adapt from, from there. But it's just, it's also about being able to develop a solution and get it up and running the quickest because you know, if you have to redo something you've already done 20 times, it's time consuming, tedious, and the client ends up paying for it. Whereas if you can, you know, insert it, import it, or copy and paste it from another solution, and just all you have to do is make some minor changes, you're saving an enormous amount of time in the development process and getting to deployment faster, which is the objective and which is why FileMaker is such an amazing tool because you can deploy a solution so much faster and get it in use than any other tool that's out there today. Yep, couldn't agree more. And let me ask you, or let me tell you how I feel about table views. In my opinion, they have no place in a professionally designed solution because you can't match the interface to your form and list views. It's literally impossible. There have been strides made to help with it. They just will never match. There's too much ability in there for people to make a table view unique to them or to add to it. So I say the only time you should probably use a table view is when you have a database that might be, you want to make a quick database and show somebody some data or use it for your own use inside your company. But as far as a client or a user, they should never see a table view. It's just got too many variables, too many things that can be changed. It's it's not a good way to design a good interface. Oh, 100% agree with you. I never use a table view that the customer sees. I might use it for internal purposes, i.e. when I'm taking a spreadsheet and I'm opening it up and looking at it to see what the data is and what I need to do with that data to normalize it, then the table view is perfect for that. In normal use, you want a list view. And you know, you talk about fine list form. Uh, in almost all of my list views, I've got a, a dynamic search so that you're typing into a search field, which is a global field. And as you type, it's finding records that match across all the fields on that layout, like a quick find. The only difference is that when the, when the script finds one record and one record only, it immediately switches to form view and stops the script because you've got to where you want to go. And why would you want to click on that record to go to a form view when the script can do it automatically? 
right? All that all that automation is great and useful to people. As long as it doesn't get in their way from doing something else, you want to take them to the road that's the only road that they can go down. And that's always, that's one of the driving forces about and why the interface is so important. You don't want to give users the opportunity to make mistakes or get confused. And it's very easy to get confused if you've got lots of windows and you, you just don't know where you are or what you're doing. And this is one of the reasons I came up with Nautilus, because I want to eliminate that confusion completely. So changing subjects here again, there's a lot to talk about interface. The buzzwords out there in the FileMaker market are dynamic, adaptive, indirection. Great things to, to go for, but you need to know when to hard code something. And I can't think of any major situations where a dynamic or adaptive or indirection is appropriate for interface design. Let me give you an example. And, and I'm sure that there's many examples where it's not and I'm wrong, but I want to stop the abuse. And this is big in FileMaker 6, but people still do it today. What they do is they take and they make these button bars that all they have to do on each solution is type in the name of that button. And this is usually like a navigation thing. And they so they have some global field somewhere and they type in the names and they automatically appear in there and either hide or, or, or show depending on how many buttons they actually want on that particular layout. I get it. It makes things easy. The problem is you're putting a whole bunch of unstored calculations on your layout, making it slow. Now, them alone by themselves won't make it slow necessarily. It's all the other stuff you might want to do on that layout that could possibly slow it down. Not to mention making it difficult for somebody to understand your scheme for designing these adaptive button bars. I think it's a bad idea. I use custom menus for navigation, since we're on the subject, exclusively. Why? Because they're centralized, meaning that no matter where I go, whatever layout I'm in, that menu can stay the same. I can have the same navigation. If I want to change them, it changes it universally. If I want a keyboard command, I can assign it to it. It's very easy, adaptive, and does a great job of taking that button bar out of your interface and giving you a much better or much more screen real estate. I love them. I absolutely wouldn't do navigation any other way. It gives me everything I want. Watch out for becoming too adaptive, too dynamic to a degree that it slows your database down and makes it difficult for other people to modify. Right. I have a, a principle when it comes to buzzwords. If somebody's using a buzzword, I'm not. Oh, I didn't know there was a period on the end of that sentence. I thought you were going to keep going. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I just don't like buzzwords. It's like some guy in advertising or marketing came up with this really great schema and everybody needs to jump on the bandwagon. No, you don't. Use common sense. When you design an interface, you're using common sense. You don't need to worry about buzzwords or all of these, you know, phrases that sound really cool. It's like we've talked about so many times using technologies that are not best suited for the job in hand. Don't do it. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, keep it simple, stupid. You know, make sure you're using common sense. Do things that are proven, that work well, that are way FileMaker was designed. And you're going to come out with a much better solution. Don't try to over-engineer your solution. Yeah. And that if there's anything that the listeners can take 
from this conversation and from any of the conversations we have on these podcasts, it's just use simple things. Don't make it too complicated, too difficult. A, it's a lot more work. And B, it makes it impossibly difficult for somebody to come in behind you if you're not available and fix what you've done. The simpler you keep it, the easier it is to scale up and to have somebody come in and make changes. And also for you to make changes when you haven't looked at a solution for two or three years and you go, what did I do here? You know, we've all looked at those and we've gone, I have no idea why I did this. Right. (laughs) And that's part of the growth that we have as developers. You know, we learn how to do things differently and we go back and we go, oh, what I was thinking at that time. So let me ask you, do you like main menu layouts where you have a starting point for your solution and everything goes out from there and then you have a home button that comes back to it? Well, of course, I don't have any of that because I'm using Nautilus and I've only got a home button. I'm I'm always at home. I'm never anywhere else. So that situation that you're referring to isn't in the way I develop anymore. used to be. And, you know, we used to have lots and lots of different layouts, but now with just one layout, it, it's so simple. And the real advantage is that you're always in context because getting out of context is the one thing that everybody struggles with. You know, this script isn't working properly. Well, what is it? Nine times out of 10, it's because you've gone out of context and you haven't realized it. So I like being in context at all times. Mm-hmm. It's everything. And it's one of the hardest things for... Yeah, context is king, right? Newcomers to FileMaker to understand. I mean, when FileMaker 7 came out and we were faced with a relationship graph, I don't know about you, John, but I struggled with it for several months before I really understood how to use it and how to work with it. And it's all about context. I'd say years, and I still get caught every once in a while, but it's on the forefront of my mind whenever there's a problem. It's probably going to be context, and I'm going to look at it. But back to my main menu layout thing. I've never used them. I don't believe in them. It's too many clicks. So let's take the example of my navigation. I use custom menus because they're easy. They're right there. I don't have to go anywhere. I just either do a keyboard command or pull it down. If I have to click on the home button to go to a button that will take me somewhere else, that's two clicks to get there. That's two clicks too many for me. I don't believe in main menus. I think it's an old way of designing things unless you're on iOS or FileMaker Go. Yep. Because, well, let me explain to you why I, I think it's important there. Here's the deal. When you're on a an, on an FileMaker Go, you're most likely out and about. You're on 3G or 4G or 5G. Who knows what kind of signal you have? It, it's not always going to be perfect. You're not on Wi-Fi at home working off of Fios. You have possibly issues with speed. You have a smaller processor on that device. It's not like your big giant processor with all the RAM and everything you've got on your desktop machine. So therefore, speed is important. And so what I do for my clients is I figure out exactly what they want to do on their mobile devices. People go, well, just give me everything that I have on the desktop. Well, that's not really the way it works. Think about what you're going to be doing out on the, out, you know, when you're about and, and, and doing it. It's probably not everything. And if we put everything on there, you're going to have a hard time fitting on the screen. But here's the issue is that it, about speed. If you load them up on a layout that shows all your records, it's going to have to load a bunch of those records. Now, there's lots of white papers about how many records load. It's not that important to know the exact number. But it's important to know that if you're on a remote connection, that could be slow if you load up a big list view. 
FileMaker is going to load a bunch of those records. And so what I do is I figure out what they want to do. And I go to a layout that's based on a table with no records in it. I put my buttons on there. It might say find a customer. It might say create a customer and things like that. And I don't go to these layouts that have all these records unless I have a purpose in going there. You have a little bit of a, a ability to not worry about that on a desktop machine because you can have faster speeds. You can have a faster connection, or even if it is on the internet. When you're on these little devices, you got to make sure that you get to that layout that has no record showing so you can pop that solution up very quickly. And then you can get to what you want to do, which is create a customer or find a customer or whoever, whatever you might be doing on that iOS device. And to me, that is the only time I'll use a main menu. And I agree with that, but I will say that typically if I'm designing a mobile a solution that's going to be used on an iPad, for example, or in the field, I'm going to build a separate file with just the stuff that they need to use when they're out in the field. I'm not going to have any extraneous layouts. They're not going to have anything that they don't need to see. And if, it's, if they're out of an internet connection, there's a sync ability when they get back into the office or wherever they can then connect and sync. So I take your point entirely and I agree with you, except that I'm designing a separate file for that purpose and that purpose alone. Well, yeah, I think that's what I was saying was you want to definitely ask your clients what they're doing out uh, when they're when they're using their mobile devices and not try to design the whole thing for a mobile device because it's not really designed to do that. And it's not necessary, you know. So again, it comes down to let's make that mobile file as lean as possible because we don't want all the overhead that we can deal with better on a desktop. Yep. It's about talking to your clients because I can tell you almost every single one that comes in, I have to educate them about what a mobile device is for. They, It's a buzzword. I need a mobile device. I need to have it. And they need to be educated nicely about what the mobile device is for. Let's find out what you're actually going to be doing out in the field and let's accomplish a subset of features for that that will go in and you're, when you're dealing with the database as a whole, that's going to be from your desktop, more capable desktop machine. Yeah, absolutely. And it, doesn't, it isn't that much effort to make a dedicated file for the mobile device. You, you can make a copy of your original file and just drop out everything that you don't need or copy and paste everything you do need. Well, you're talking about separating them. Uh, I think there's important to, to talk about that there's two different ways to, to design a, a mobile solution. One is you have two separate apps and you synchronize them. The other way is that you have a live connection. I've been the whole time at this point talking about a live connection where you're actually connecting up to the database on the server not doing it all locally. And so there can be speed issues. I think the way you prefer to design is to do synchronization if, is what you're saying. Yes. If, it, if it's not possible, well, there are two options. I mean, sometimes you've got a good connection and you can be connected to the, to the server. But if you're in a remote area and a lot of people who are using mobile devices are going to areas that are perhaps don't have good internet connectivity. They're in, doing an inspection on an oil field and they're looking at all the equipment and they're in the middle of nowhere and they don't have connectivity. So they have to be able to operate independently of that internet connection and then sync when necessary. So yes, I do like to do that. Yeah, you need to talk to your client and find out what they're going to be doing, not just design something because there's a difference between 
designing for synchronization and designing a live connection. A live connection is far easier to design, but if you don't have the connection most of the time, then you need to do synchronization and tell your client about that and design something specifically for it. But I always try to push people towards live because it's going to cost them less money in general. Now, let's talk about fine versus browse mode. In the old days, I used to design layouts for browse mode and layouts for fine mode because I didn't want them to be confused by browse mode buttons, global fields you can't click into, things like that. So I designed two separate layouts, but it's important in this modern day that you start using the hide object feature with the get window mode function to use one layout for browse and find. And this is assuming that you're using my method of development, which is multiple layouts. I'll let you comment about the, you know, the single layout method, but you need to say, hey, if with the hide object feature, if my window mode is one, hide this. So I want to hide the buttons when I go into find mode. I might make some buttons with get window mode equals zero appear in find mode because they have to do with find. And, I, and you can do all kinds of things to differentiate find mode and browse mode because it's very important to do that so that people don't get confused in your interface. They need to be clear that they're in fine mode because the number one reason why people lose data is because they're in fine mode, not in browse mode, and they don't know the difference. It's why those little magnifying glasses were put into to fine mode on each field. There's a variety of reasons. If you make more than 10 requests, it warns you. Things like that. So you need to be wary of that to even go further than what FileMaker's done with the interface and add your own interface using the get window mode function and hide objects. Yeah, I use that more to... I'm just trying to think how to phrase this. I use it occasionally, but I don't use it very often. And again, it comes down to with Nautilus, there is no find, except if you go into open up a list view where you particularly want the user to be in a list view so they can see a whole bunch of records and then they have the ability to find. But I'm often using finds using relationships. Um, on the main screen, I'm presenting the user with a portal of all the records that match and there may be different filters applying to that portal depending on what it they want to look at and then there's they can type in and filter those records down so i'm avoiding pure finds a lot of the time most of the time yeah that's a great technique to know and uh to implement because then you don't have to worry about the same things right i exactly so it all depends on what you want to do, how you design. There's not one way to design, but you've got. And what you've got to do is is get all these different techniques together, and apply them to your client by interviewing them and saying, "Hey, this will work best for you," or giving them an option, or figuring out how they work with the system, what their workflow is, and that all determines how what what features you use and how you design. It's also personal preference. I just like doing it this way. I think it works better in 99% of the cases. And you know, and I'm completely convinced that what I'm doing works better than 99% of the cases too. So it is a it is a matter of difference. But the one thing that we're both saying, and we can't stress this enough, is that you have to be talking to your client. You've got to be asking pertinent questions and lots of them and drilling down to find out what actually you need to be doing. You can't develop without client communication. You've got to be have a dialogue going at all times so that 
you you can just get to where you want to but knowing exactly what the parameters that you need to be working with so you've got a very clear picture of what you're doing yeah and, and i don't think that anybody can just listen to this podcast and become an interface expert it takes years of working it out and deciding what works best for you and and figuring out what your strengths are and, and trying to improve on your weaknesses. And, and it's just, it's a, a matter of time and don't expect to be perfect right off the bat, but just keep trying to improve and learn something new every day. And you're going to start designing really good interfaces. Yeah, absolutely. And you have succeeded in designing a really good interface. If you can get your client to say, wow. Yeah. And that's, that's not easy to get from somebody because they're paying for you. So they, they, they're not expected. You're not getting it for free. So they're not expected to say thank you or wow. But if they do, you know, you've hit the, the nail on the head. I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think it's been an interesting discussion between you and I. And I think that the, I hope that the people listening to it will find it as interesting as I have making this podcast. I agree. I, I, there's probably more to talk about, but I'm pretty much, we've, we've brain dumped everything we know. So we should be pretty good and, and give you a good head start on designing interfaces for FileMaker. And my name is John Mark Osborne, and don't forget to make a comment. We really appreciate them. Absolutely. Well, with that, I'm Michael Rashad. Thanks for listening, and we'll look forward to seeing you the next time on Fireside FileMaker. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.